Okay, well, uh, as I said to those of you who were here when we started the service last week, uh, I preached uh, a message called uh, Indiscriminate Act of Kindness, and I've had quite a few emails and quite a bit of interest in that, and I'm delighted with that. But I did say, uh, I think I said at this service, I know I said at the the, uh, second morning service, I'm going to just give an opportunity for one or two people just very briefly to to share any stories of of encounters they've had this week, opportunities that they've had, and when they felt prompted to... You know, just share a little uh, kindness somewhere. And it may, I, I, we're not looking for earth-changing stories, though it would be nice. We're just looking for little stories about simple acts of kindness where you've stepped outside your comfort zone maybe just to, just to be kind to someone. So has anybody here, uh, two or three I hope, uh, got a little story that they'd like to share with us now, just very impromptu and spontaneously? Just put your hand up if, you, if you've got a story you want to share this week. Now, I wouldn't brush your hair if I was you, because it looks like every hand up. <laughs> Anybody want to tell a story? Thank you, Karen. And that, who, somebody up there, would you like to come down as well? Two, that's great. Thank you. Very brave. This is Karen. Karen is our office manager. Give Karen a clap because of that. Karen, tell us your story. Um, last Sunday, I had... Uh, Hang on a minute, let's just, let me just check this. Have I put it on mute? Probably. Yeah, I did. I'm sorry, Karen. Um, last Sunday, I'd bought flowers for a friend who'd done something for me and forgotten to take them. So then decided to take those flowers after church to somewhere we were going and again forgot to take them and that's not like me. As we were driving home, I thought, oh, I've got those flowers at home. And um, I didn't want to keep them. I felt I should give them away. And God just reminded me of the lady that lived over the road from us, who's a new single mum, four young girls, and has broken her ankle. And we've we've always said hello, but nothing more. She's quite a bit younger than me. Um, But um, So I took them over, and she wasn't in. So I took them back, and I wrote a card, and I left them on her doorstep. And on um, just saying, I apologise if we're not knowing her name, actually, because that's, you know, that's not good. And she came bounding over to me on Tuesday morning, as she could with a broken leg, and said, <laughs> <laughs> she said her name, and she said she loved the flowers, and she just had a different attitude, and she just, we just talk more now, which is a good thing. Great stuff. Great. Thank you. Another one. Is there a guy who's got a story? It'd be nice to have the blokes giving a story. Any guys? All right. Well, an unsavory story. Great, Andrew. Thank you. Would you like to come up after this? Thank you. Sorry, what was your name? Uh, Anne. Anne. Right. Yes, Anne. it's just a little story. Yeah. It's nothing really big, but um, you know, so there's quite a, a lot of swine flu about. Well, our neighbour had swine flu, um, as I found out a, a little while ago. Um, and I just really felt it would be a nice idea to put a... I knew she was getting better because she's been on these tablets. I just felt it was nice to maybe give her a card, a get-well card. And uh, then I thought, what do I write in it? Do I write that we'll pray for her? And I thought, oh, why not? So I, I just wrote, we, we're praying for you to get better. And um, now she's perfectly fine. She's been totally healed. So she's a young, like 25-year-old woman with young children and uh, yeah I know that God healed her and she was she, she saw me um, one day and she seemed really really grateful <laughs> for Wonderful. the card and uh, 
Yeah. Great. So, thank you, Anne. That's wonderful. Thank you very much indeed. Andrew, here you go, mate. You're going to gross us out now. <laughs> Carry on. Not terribly. An unsavoury story. Actually, this is something that any dog owner can do. Um, you know what? I think some of you maybe get an inkling of what I'm about to say. I'm, uh, Chrissy and I are the proud owners of two dogs, and I walk them every day. And uh, I've done this before. I definitely did it last week without any prompting because we weren't here last Sunday, so I didn't know about the r- random and indiscriminate acts of kindness thing. But... Um, Yes, I had some poo bags in my pocket, and I take them for obvious reasons for our own dogs, but I just did the honours for someone else who maybe had forgotten to do it. And I felt quite good about it, even though it was a bit sort of, as you say, I had to steal myself a bit. But what was really incredible is that on the way home, uh, I had left another bag from one of our dogs by the side of the track, um, knowing that I would pick it up and then put it in the bin at the end of the track got back there to find the, the bag someone else had picked up the bag and got rid of it for me. <laughs> Thank you, God. <laughs> it's probably an angel, Andrew. It's probably an angel. You know, the, That morning, that angel turned up at the throne of grace and for his standing orders, and he said to the Lord, you want me to do what? <laughs> oh, another one. Thank you. Hiya. Um, my name's Nicola. Um, I just got back from Kenya a week ago, and I have a story from there. Um, There's a friend of mine who's been in hospital for four months because he had a minor accident. It's a very long story. They screwed up. They gave him an infection. He's worse. Um, But what was interesting is I was planning to go and see him in hospital, and for several days I kept planning to go. I never got there. I never got there. Eventually, the day I got there, it turned out he was being discharged. But the reason for that was so that he could be sent to another hospital in Nairobi for better treatment. The amazing thing was that you have to pay before they allow you to leave hospital, and they actually didn't have the money. So I thought, okay, fine, I have to pay. And the amazing thing was I had hardly any cash left, but it was just enough to pay their medical bill. And it was only £30, but to them that's an awful lot of money that they just didn't have. And I just thought that's such a God thing because it was never my plan to be there on that day. I didn't know they were going to be discharged or anything. And uh, so I paid the bill, and they went off to Nairobi, and fingers crossed, (laughs) he'll get better. Wonderful. Thank you, Nicola. Bless you. Okay, indiscriminate acts of kindness. Uh, Somebody, a lady, very kindly emailed me and sent me a film called Pay It Forward, which is a a Hollywood take on this. And what a lovely film that is. If you've got a sort of a wet Sunday afternoon during your holidays this August, that might be a good film to check out. It's it's a great film. But anyway, indiscriminate acts of kindness. I I, I really would love it if we we kind of kept this one in mind and kept sort of just pushing the door on this one and, and just sort of looking forward to those, looking for those opportunities to, to, to bless people in that way. But this morning we're going to carry on and uh, we're in what we call the, well, in-house, we call it the silly season because it's, 
It's kind of difficult because people are away on holiday. People are, are actually, uh, you know, uh, just here for a week. We get lots of visitors and things, so it's kind of difficult to, uh, uh, to really, um, you know, know, know who's going to be here. So that means that it's quite difficult to do teaching series. So we do one-offs. And so there's a number of things that during the course of the year the Lord speaks to us about. And, and this is something that I've been really wanting to speak on. And it really kind of flows on in some ways, as I was thinking and praying this morning, about acts of kindness, uh, it flows on from that thought. So today, this message is really called Lost. And uh, for those of you who are fans of the, the TV show, uh, I'm not going to sort of be drawing on that, I'm afraid, but we've got a, an image which is a bit lost-like, and you know, take some comfort and encouragement from that. But one of the things that has really struck me is, is that you know, this emphasis on the lost in Jesus' ministry. And, and in my view, if, if acts of kindness are kind of like the foothills of the kingdom of God, we get into the mountains, we get into the real sort of the, the mountain ranges of God's kingdom and God's heart when we start thinking about the lost. I'm going to define the lost in a minute, so just bear with me for that. But going into the ministry of Jesus, when Jesus came, he loved hanging out with the wrong people. He was a real party animal. And quite frankly, some would have said that there were too many parties. Too many parties in the ministry of Jesus. And after a while, this was noticed. And, uh, you know, Jesus found himself having to give an account for all this partying he seemed to be doing. Because the religious authorities of the day, they had a vision of what religion was. They had a vision of, of what God was like. And he was austere. And he was full of judgment, and he was definitely against the other nations, and he was definitely for Israel, and, and, and that also meant that there was a heaviness, a weightiness, and that's not a, necessarily a bad thing, a weightiness about, uh, I'll just put this down here because people are kind of dodging around that. Yeah. There was a weightiness about the whole business of religion. So along comes Jesus, this popular, this was in the days of his popularity, this popular new young rabbi from nowhere, and he seems to be partying all the time. And actually we find that in Matthew 9, 10 to 11 and elsewhere, there's, there are encounters where they, they, they actually challenge him about this. Verse 10 of Matthew chapter 9 says this, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? There was hilarity going on. There were jokes being told. There was backslapping and there was a fine time. And the Pharisees and the scribes were frothing at the mouth, dithering and dathering outside, criticizing Jesus' approach. And particularly, as we saw last week, the way he hung out and seemed to seek out those who were not part of the in crowd. It really, really irritated the scribes and the Pharisees. Because, of course, they were the in crowd. So, uh, you know, just like today when we see uh, politicians wanting to hang out with pop stars. When, when often you, you, you see as, as some sort of popular hero gains recognition, you will often find at strategic moments our politicians wanting to be seen hanging out with them. 
Uh, I'll never forget years ago, President Reagan, which is before some of your time, uh, there was a, a, a guy called Bruce Springsteen. He's just played at Glastonbury, and some of you will have seen that and, and uh, rejoiced, and others would have just said, ooh, he's so old, you know. <laughs> I don't know. It depends where you are, really. But, but Bruce Springsteen was headlining at Glastonbury this year, and I remember President Reagan, when in, in, in the heyday of Bruce Springsteen's influence and popularity, when he was nicknamed The Boss, President Reagan tried to score a few political points by referring to the boss in his sermon. It was a bit in his, one of his uh, speeches, and it was a bit shallow and a bit obvious. And actually, part of what's going on here is that actually the rabbis and the Pharisees, they wanted to hang out with this dynamic new preacher, teacher, healer, whatever he was. Because, you know, anybody who was anybody wanted to hang out with, with, you know, the hot guy. And this is the hot guy, but he doesn't want to hang out with them. He doesn't want to be seen at all the best parties, the best cocktail parties. He doesn't want to be seen sort of, you know, kowtowing and, and uh, you know, bowing and scraping in their presence and showing them this. If he'd done that, he probably would have been fine. But actually he had another agenda. His passion was at one with the father's passion. And the father's passion is, not just was, is for the lost. Now Jesus, he heard that the scribes and Pharisees were hanging about outside. And one or two of his disciples came in and they kind of leant over and whispered in his ear. And told him what they were saying out there. And Jesus said this, Matthew Chapter 9, verse 12 to 13, lost people matter to God. He said this, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy. Mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I've not come to call those who are all right and all together I have come to call the lost, the lost, the sinners. And so that was the message that was sent back out to the scribes and Pharisees. No wonder that relationships and tensions built between Jesus and the religious authorities. I just want to define this this lost thing for a moment because it will help us here. You know, when we're talking about the lost, are we talking about the homeless? Are we talking about orphans, widows? Are we talking about the oppressed? Are are we talking about the emotionally scarred, victims of abuse? Yes, we are. But Scripture would generally lump those in with that group that Scripture calls the poor. A quite distinct group, the poor. But actually, when Jesus is talking about the lost, he's talking about those who are apart from God, separated from God for whatever reason. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. So it's not just the needy people, that family who just not making it, who live down the end of my street, or the the family like where we live past few weeks has been a family going through some tough time, a lot of screaming, a lot of back, bad language. I still don't know which house it is. It's in our little square, but there's been some carrying on. We all know and see people 
who are going through pain and difficult times. And the church has a special place to play in, in ministering as it can and as opportunity arises. And sometimes when we make opportunity through acts of indiscriminate kindness, we have a message and hope and a heart for people in that place. But Jesus is not just talking to those obvious needy people that we might quickly and all too readily identify. He is talking about those who are apart from God. Those whom, those are lost. I watched a program this week that was, um, I think it was on Tuesday in the evening, it was called Freefall. Did anybody see that program? Just put your hand up if you saw that program. It was a kind of a dramatization of the, you know, meltdown that we were going through a year or so ago in, in, in the banking system and all the rest of it. And it followed the stories of three people, a, a, a kind of a, you know, a wheeler dealer in the city of London putting together these kind of mortgage packages to sell on and make billions. There was the, the mortgage salesman, sort of middle management type thing, who was kind of a bit of a wheeler dealer himself, selling, you know, Mortgages to people who could never possibly afford them. And then the third sort of little picture story running along in all of this was a family who'd bought into this kind of thing. And, and you know, that, 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 that film, that play, as much, as much as anything else, demonstrated very well, I thought, how people at all sorts of income and togetherness are profoundly lost. In fact, at the end of the film, it was the, the guy in the city of London who was doing this wheeling and dealing who actually threw himself off a bridge onto a motorway. There is a profound sense of loss, of being alone, being separate, that we all of us have to medicate, deal with in some way. So when Jesus is speaking about the lost, yes, he's talking about the poor, those whom we might call the poor, and he always had a heart and a passion for them, particularly the oppressed. But actually it's broader than that, it's wider than that, and it's important for us to understand that. Now because lost people matter to God, Jesus then went in, in, in Luke 15 to tell three stories now, many preachers have made much on each of these stories, and I'm going to spend 10 minutes rattling through them. I'm not going to get under the skin of them, because I actually want you to get the overview and the connection. Do you remember a few weeks ago how I told you that in, 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 in the scriptures, when something is repeated, it's, it's emphasized. So big, we would say big, bigger, biggest, they just go big, big, big. And if there's three bigs, it's really big. Okay? So what Jesus is doing here, he's using the same kind of format to tell three stories. And actually, as you'll hear in just a minute, everybody who heard it will have got it in the first story. Absolutely everybody. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He bores the backside off them by telling them the same story, kind of, two more times. Because it is absolutely critical that these scribes, these Pharisees, these religious people understand the heart of God in this. And so in Luke 15, and I'm, as I say, I'm not going to read the whole story through, but, but you might like to do that as a little personal reflection, homework if you like, over this coming week. And the first story he tells them is about a lost sheep. Let me just read you a little bit of this story. 
Luke chapter 15, verses 3 to 7. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Another excuse for a party. (laughs) Any excuse. This Jesus will have a party at the drop of the hat. Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Two stories, just to, two things to say about that that will help you grasp the power and import of this story. The first one is this. In the Jewish way of thinking, earth should reflect heaven. So what's going on in heaven should be going on in the church. And if you like, what's going on in the church should be what's going on in heaven. So it's not like heaven is up there and it's all glorious and wonderful and one day we get to go down there, but it's hell down here. That's not how they would view it. What was happening on earth was supposed to be a reflection in the, in, the, in the community of the faithful of what was happening in heaven. So Jesus is making a point here, and it's a stiletto point, it's a dig at the Pharisees, and saying, you are out there scowling, critical, and cynical. What's going on in heaven, my dear friends, is that there is a party going on. Because those who are lost have been found. So there's a bit of a dig there. The other dig is this. And some of you who have been walking with Jesus for a little while will, under, will know this. But in Ezekiel 34, there is a passage of scripture which talks about the inadequacies of the shepherds of Israel. How they did not seek those who were lost. This was very well known and is well known today. And in this passage in Ezekiel 34, God goes on to say, I myself will seek for these sheep. So when Jesus picks this parable, when he starts with this parable, he is making a strong and unavoidable point to his hearers, the scribes and the Pharisees in particular. You are not going after the lost sheep. You are not seeking them out. In fact, you are crossing over the other side of the road rather than engage with them. And secondly... If you want to know God, if you want to be part of that kingdom rejoicing, you've got to start getting excited about lost people. Not just the poor. Jesus said the poor you will always have with you. But lost people. And some of these lost people are going to be like the tax collectors and sinners. The tax collectors were probably the wealthiest members of their community. Why? Because they were on the take. They were paid by Rome and they took a little bit extra. That's why they were hated. But they were affluent. Did they have nice houses? Did they have nice camels with six tassels on them? Yeah. Did they have nice rugs and jugs and plenty of servants and great food and wine? Were they good hosts if you were invited to a party? Yeah, absolutely. And Jesus hung out with them. Actually invited one of them to be one of his disciples. That was a scandal in of itself. 
So Jesus really, in teaching this story, in, in sharing this story, makes the point. Nobody could avoid it. But he doesn't stop there. There's this rabbic, rabbinical repetitive thing going on. Because he really, really, really wants them to understand this. He goes on to the next little story. Let's look at that one. Luke chapter 15, verse 8 to 10. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Many will know this. It was probably his diary, her diary. It was probably something she'd been given on her wedding day. Not necessarily, but probably. It was, a very, it, it was, it was something very special, something of great sentimental worth, as well as being financially very val- valuable. And she lost one. She couldn't believe how this had happened. Have you ever lost something that you've been particularly trying not to lose? I did that just recently. I did that just recently. My daughter, one of my daughters left her car with me and, uh, to do some little work on it. And I did the work and I had to pop out. And, and I thought to myself, this is her car key. I mustn't, I'll put it in my pocket. Oh, mustn't put it in that pocket because I've got a hole in that pocket. I actually thought to myself, I must not lose these keys. I'm not going to bore you with the detail. I lost the keys. How did that happen? It's a real Homer Simpson doll moment. Because <laughs> it wasn't like it was stupid. I knew I had a hole in my... But somewhere during the, you know, the shopping trip, I must have taken it out and put it in the wrong one, and I've lost the key. So my name is Mug, not Dad. This woman... These were her pride and joy. Somehow she loses a coin. She loses one. So how does she respond to that? Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it, Jesus says. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, wait for it. Rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. Another party. We won't get to bed too early tonight. Oh my goodness. Jesus is parting on down again. It's a good job they didn't have boom boxes and health and safety on the noise in those days. Another party. In the same way Jesus says, same refrain, like a song. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. I want to say something before I pitch into the last story, which will be very well known to some of you, is that I want you to understand this, because sometimes when I've preached along these lines in the past, a number of people have said to me, well, so you're saying that, uh, I, I get what you're saying, Chris, so you're saying we don't matter, and the lost people do. No, I'm not saying that. You see, what matters to God is the fact that they're lost. They're not loved more. They're not more special. The lost are loved more than us. He calls us sons and daughters. He knows us by name. We are his family. But just like when Fliss and myself, we were on holiday in Cornwall once, a very wet holiday. So what's new? We were on holiday with the children. We have four children. We love them passionately. We would... Take the bullet for them. Take a bullet for them. Just as you love your kids. But one of our kids got meningitis while we were on this campsite. First of all, we just thought that she'd eaten a duff hot dog or something. Because she was becoming expert in projectile vomiting (laughs) all over the caravan. And this 
Uh, we were a little concerned. This seemed to be pretty extreme. Fliss took her to the local doctor, and the doctor gave her an injection, saying, well, I think she's got a tummy bug here. It looks a pretty nasty one. I'll give her an injection. She should be right in a couple of days. Took her back two days on. She's still vomiting. She can't hold anything down. She is in a terrible state. So we ring up the doctor, and the doctor says, ah, I'm going to send an ambulance to collect you. I didn't like to say anything, but I thought it could be meningitis. I'll send an ambulance. And suddenly what was a miserable wet holiday with a sick child became a dash across Cornwall chasing an ambulance. They were taking it very seriously. And it turned out to be bacterial meningitis. The good news about bacterial meningitis, some of you sadly will know about this, is that it is treatable. It's bacterial, it's not viral meningitis. But the bad news is that it's the killer one. People die from bacterial meningitis. And if they don't die, they're often left blind, sight impaired. It is rare and very serious. And it's supposed to be diagnosed within 48 hours. We had been mucking around on a campsite in Devon, mopping up for 72 hours. No wonder they took it seriously. And, you know... We've heard it all before. The hospital staff were wonderful. She's placed in isolation. Da-di-da-di-da-di-da. And she's alive and well now and coming over this coming week with our new grandson. And she suffered no ill effects. But during that time, even though we have four children we love passionately and would take a bullet for, We were distracted by our Jesse. Every minute of the day, even as we gave the kids, the other kids, their breakfast, and you know, dealt with the bruises, and yet took them down to the sweet shop to spend their pocket money and tried to look after them. During that whole time, we were distracted because of Jesse. Oh God! Oh God! Oh God! Save Jesse! Save Jesse! Do we love Jesse more than the others? No. Does God love lost people more than those who are part of the family of God? No. But they are lost and he is distracted. Little show of hands here. How many parents here have at some point of their parenting thought for one for a few awful moments that their child was lost? In the supermarket, in the car park, in the wherever. You know what I'm talking about. In that moment, the panic is indescribable. I tell you, and I've said this before, one of the worst moments, and we've had a few bad moments over the 21 years we've been doing this church, one of the worst moments we ever had was when we were doing church in the park. We we all decamped because we couldn't use the school we were in, and we all went down to Verulam Park, and we had the band. It was great, actually, great fun. One or two people here, I can, I've seen them this morning, came to Christ through those things. They, they came home to Jesus because we were out in the park. But I remember one occasion when one of the mums, and she's still part of this church here, came running up to us, white-faced, ashen. I cannot find da 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 And for ten minutes, we went like, like worker ants all over that park trying to find this child. The child was found, praise God, glory, hallelujah. But as the leader of that church, 
Let alone being a parent, what it must have been like for the parent. For 10 minutes, I was distracted. You see, God is distracted, disconcerted, disturbed by the fact that some, that there are lost people. As we, and, and I'm on this journey myself, as we try and calibrate ourselves, as we try and get in line with the thinking of God, the church of Jesus Christ, not least the vineyard here in St. Albans, needs to get on the same page as God when it comes to the lost. Because he's a little twitchy about this. He's a bit distracted. He loves us passionately. I've made the point. But he's distracted. He's pacing up and down. Waiting for the click of the gate. Key in the door. Hoping. Praying. Working. Yearning. That the lost might come home. And the last story, again a very familiar one, draws on that. Uh, this story is, 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 has almost, like one or two, like the Good Samaritan we, we, that we looked at last week, this has almost jumped ship and become part of folk culture. It's the story of, of what is commonly called the prodigal son. Now, I could spend a lot of time on this, and we have done series on that. I'm not going to, I'm just keeping it in the same vein as, as that which I've done now. And this story is a little different, because in this story... Unlike the first story where a sheep was a sheep and sheep are foolish. They may be foolish, by the way, but sheep can be very mean. Did you know that? I was doing the Like Wake Walk once. It's a walk across North Yorkshire moors and you're supposed to walk 40 miles in 24 hours. And I was halfway across and I was foolishly by this time. I started off with one or two companions, but I decided to go it alone because they'd fallen out. And it was getting pretty dark and I was cold and chilled. It was very foolish, very reckless. And I sat down and was eating, poured out a bit of coffee, last of my coffee, and I had the last of my sandwich, and there's you know, a nice sort of view of the moors, and, and there's sheep and things around there. And I sat there, minding my own business, kind of musing, and I hear this brum, 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 brum. And I thought, what is that? Brum, brum, brum. And it's getting louder, brum, brum, brum. And I thought, what is that? And I turned around, and a sheep hurtled by at about 20 miles an hour and nicked my sandwich as it went. my sandwich sheep are foolish they're mean don't trust them they're shifty their eyes are too close together I think but because of that foolishness that sheep that the shepherd went looking for and of course Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd was just doing what what sheep do through sheer foolishness through ignorance, people are separate from God. Maybe they weren't raised in a church family. Maybe no Christian has ever invited them to church. Through, through just ignorance and foolishness, they get lost. Then, of course, with the coin. The coin is an inanimate object. Sometimes, you know, through abuse, through the way your mother was with you, the way your father was with you, you are just so far from God, you just have not got a God place in you because of the... Because, quite frankly, of the appalling things that have happened through you, happened to you, you are a victim. It is no wonder you've 
not come across the grace and the goodness, the kindness, the mercy, the healing of God. So some people fall into that category. This last story, though, the prodigal son is very different because this is willful and intentional. Many of you know the story, but in case you don't, just very briefly, this young son says to the father one day in a fit of rage that had been brewing for weeks, if not months, I wish you were dead. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here, but maybe your teenage son or daughter at some point or other said, why don't you leave me alone? I wish you were dead. Some parents have endured that pain. And in this story, nothing changes, does it? 2,000 years, the prodigal son, as he's known, says to his father, I wish you were dead. Just give me what's mine. I'm going. I'm leaving. And the father pleads and begs, but no, the son goes. And in this story, and we could spend time talking about that, the father gives him his inheritance. Son goes away. He squanders it. Easy come, easy go, the old adage finds himself impoverished. And then what happens? A credit crunch hits on top of everything else. So what was a bad situation is suddenly made intolerable. So intolerable, in fact, that as the word of God says, he came to his senses. Some people are away from God because they know what God is like. They know his reputation, if not his personal experience, by personal experience. They've, they've had a little bit of a taste of, of, of a loving church community. But no, thank you. I'm out of here. I don't want that crutch. All sorts of anger and rejection gets, and scorn is poured upon the father, the church. Through, so through willfulness they leave. But in this story, the prodigal son comes to his senses now, some have said that this story should not be called the prodigal son. It should be called the elder brother. We're not even going to go down the elder brother today. But the one story, that, the, the one alternative title I like is that this story should be called the running father. And as it says in, in the word of God here, Luke 15, verses 20 to 24, while the boy was still a long way off, his father saw him. His father was looking for him. Never a day went by when that father's heart and mind were with that child. Never a day goes by when our God's heart and mind is not with the lost. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with rage. What? Anger? Righteous indignation? No. Was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The running father. In, in that society, patriarchs of the family move slowly, with dignity, etc., etc., the children played in the dust and played tags, but the patriarch of the family was part of the culture and still is, was full of dignity and composure. At the sight of his son at a distance, on his way back, the father hitched up his robe and ran. All 16, 17, 18 stone of him 
with bits wobbling that really shouldn't wobble. But you see, the father in this story would go to any lengths, just as our father God has gone to any lengths in giving his son Jesus to die for us. To have the son, the daughter, come home. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandal on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate another party. Jesus is at it again. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. That which was on earth was that which is in heaven. Heaven and earth mirroring one another. So these three stories, Jesus spoke to the scribes and the Pharisees, hoping against hope that that would be the end of it. Luke 19.10, Jesus says, the reason the Son of Man, that's himself, came was to seek and to save the lost. That was why. All sorts of other things get fixed up as well. My father issues, and I had some father issues, I tell you. They get sorted out as well. The fact that my sister and myself got, my sister got thrown out of home at 15, and I was shown the door at 16, that got sorted out as well. This is what Jesus does. He's great at putting things back together. But the passion is for the lost, be they affluent, articulate, well-heeled city workers, or people like me, busted and broken. And the challenge for the church today is obvious. It's obvious, isn't it? Let's, let's keep doing the stuff, all the stuff, all those compassion ministries, you know, there are ministries that we run here, a little bit of, I've said this because I'm proud of it, I'm sorry if it's wrong. Our divorce recovery ministry currently, and it's shameful in a sense, the only one of its kind in Hertfordshire. We get mentioned in dispatches, we've been mentioned this year in Parliament. Let's keep doing that, but guys, let's not get self-satisfied and proud of that because that's not what it's about. It's about the lost. And so help us God, as long as the vineyard in St. Albans is here and I help them leading it, it will have that emphasis on making this a place where the lost can come home. Amen? Amen. 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 Gather, grow, give. Our God is a gathering God. And I want to sidle up beside my Father God in worship. And I want to look up into his eyes. And when I see that slight faraway look in his eyes, I want to say to him, what is it, Dad? What is it, Father? What's the matter? And I'm only a kid, but I want to help, Father. I know what he'll say to me. He'll take my hand and squeeze and smile and hug me tenderly. And he'll say, it's your brothers and sisters, Chris. They're still lost. They're still lost. Can I help that? 
Whatever it takes, can I help? That's become my heart. It wasn't always my heart. I was just snarled up with all my stuff. It's become my heart over the years. And I pray that this church, and this church that we're a part of in the 21st century, will regain that God compassion and passion for the lost. Amen.